I mean, I've made this career decision or tried to make a career decision multiple times of where do I want to go next and do I want to get back into media is one that continues to pop up for me because I loved that job mm-hmm. so much. Um, but I just don't know honestly where I'd work, where I'd feel like what I like, how I want to write and how I want to tell stories yeah. is valued or understood. Because what was nice about there is you could have a point of view um, or, and you could also just tell stories in a way that like we cared about the community. So the voice everyone's hearing is Lauren Landry and the there <laughs> that you're talking about is Boston. Oh yeah. Because you used to write for Boston. Oh, and that's how I came to know you yes. years ago. Oh, um, the glory days. Yeah. And I can remember. So thank you for joining us, Lauren. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you joining Boston speaks up. It was, uh, it was pretty interesting coming back to town and look, I was looking for you. I was like, where's Lauren's voice? (laughs) Lauren's voice used to guide me through Boston innovation scene and technology. And I was like, wanted to get reacquainted with the scene moving back East. And I found that you were at Harvard business school online, Mm -hmm. which I found disappointing and intriguing, (laughs) disappointing because I was like, where's her byline? I need her to write for me. Yeah, and I'm, and a little, I'm a little out of practice. <laughs> it's been a while. And I appreciate you were just sharing a bit of your philosophy as we were kind of flown into an intro here about if you're not passionate or, or you don't believe in a startup you discover, then you just won't write about them. But I'm, <laughs> I'm curious what you, um, what you miss about covering Boston technology. Mm. Uh, what do I miss? I miss the first time I miss the community. So much. Um, and some of that, it could be an easy fix. I could go out to more networking events like I used to do. Um, but there was a little, there was also like a thrill when you were in networking events because you were going to find stories and meet new people. And so there was also kind of a different motive for me and just connect with new people. But I think for me, that is like the biggest. I just miss, you know, finding people who had these undercover stories that maybe two weren't being told all the time. Um, one of my, I'll never forget. There was one dinner I went to it was an MIT like startup dinner and they, I can't remember how they gathered everyone. It was like a, such a random group of people and we were going around and I was asking everyone, I particularly looked at one guy and I was like, tell me what, what's your story? Like, why are you here? What do you do? And he's like, nah, my story is not important. Let's, and this guy like rapid fire went around and was like, this person's doing this cool thing. And this person's doing that. Finally, by the end, I was like, can you just tell, like, what do you do? And someone else told his story that he was developing technology to save people from getting their legs amputated because they were diabetic and this like crazy cool. I'm like, you were never going to, you personally were never going to tell your story, but the world needs to hear it. And so I'm going to give you my card because I know that you won't go advocate for yourself. And can I share your story with people? Um, and so, That's great. you know, th- yeah. like those are the moments that I really miss Yeah, about all that. I don't miss the, Fundraising announcements. Sorry for all the fundraising announcements that I wrote on people's yeah. behalf. Um, those are got dry after a while. I don't really like breaking news too. I don't miss not having like someone over my back asking me like, why isn't this done yet? Why isn't this? I don't miss that. Um, but I miss the the people and the why and hearing from entrepreneurs, particularly like, why did you just put your life on the line to do this thing? Cool. Where does that come from for you? You you grew up in Maine, right? I did. Yeah. Have you, 
for a long time before you moved to Boston? Were you in pursuit of a journalism career? Where does that sort of insatiable appetite to learn and <laughs> yeah, share come from? It's shifted a little bit over time. When I was younger, I actually, I'd always wanted to be a teacher. I used to put my stuffed animals in a row on the floor and I would come home from school and teach them what I learned that day. As I got older, I thought, okay, teacher, I want to be a writing teacher. Before I be a writing teacher, I should learn how to write. And so when I wish initially went to Emerson College, the goal was just I want to learn how to become a better writer and a journalist. Um, and then one day I'll transition that. And so I can't say, like, my goals have just shifted a little bit over time, which now makes sense that I'm in the education space. Like, mm -hmm. I can look back and think serendipitously, my career made a lot of sense. Um, but even when I started at Boston Oaks, that was my first like real job out of college. Uh, the founders said, we need an education writer. Do you want to be that person? And at first I was like, oh, I wanted to be like the light, the fun lifestyle one who's writing about where the best burgers in Boston is. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, they just asked me a random question that made so much sense that I didn't foresee, nor did they even foresee. They just needed an education reporter. And I'm so grateful that that you know, took its lens that it did because now I've just done a lot more research about education, um, but now it's also just lent itself to where I'm at in my career today. So it's been a bit of a winding road, but one that has made sense now in retrospect, looking mm. back. That's cool. At I, I want to get into the sort of the winding road a bit and, and get up to speed with where you're at today, but I want to I want to stick around in Maine for a little bit. Okay. So... So where exactly did you grow up? Do you have siblings? Yeah. What was your childhood like? I grew up in Lewiston, Maine. It's a small French-Canadian mill town. Although I say small, but it's the second most populated city in Maine. So I don't know what that's, that says. On the, the north, so I've, I've been in Portland before and felt like I was really far north. And people have reminded me that I was still in you south. pretty like, I was still in south, southern Maine. Yeah. yeah. So where's Lewiston? Yeah, probably 35, 40 minutes, depending on how fast you can drive, north of Portland. So okay. still, still like, southern Maine, right? southern central <laughs> yeah. Maine. I have not even, like, I haven't even been past Augusta. I'm a bad, horrible Mainer. Like, <laughs> not great. Um, And then you, yeah, you get into... Maine's, it could take you, what, maybe 10 hours or more to drive through the entire state of Maine. So yeah. it's, cool. it's a lot. <laughs> so siblings? I do have one. I have an older sister. She's nine years older than me. Um, and she is married. And I said that because they've been together for, oh, I should be on, I should know the exact 15 years. That sounds right. Oh. Um, so I mostly said because he is, uh, my brother-in-law has known me longer yeah. than he has not known me. So, yeah, <laughs> which so. is nice and Crazy. You can almost drop the in-law. Yeah. Just, I, I mean, I just strictly call him a brother. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Where do they live? They're in the Rhode Island area, um, which is actually now to where my dad is. So nice. my family has made a little bit of a shift down south. Ooh, I like yeah. it. My sister just moved to Warwick. That's actually where my dad lives. So maybe, maybe they we, should hang out. We should hang out. She, <laughs> right before you came in the studio, she called me because she just got a new job uh, at some new tavern in um she's got a job at a new restaurant that opened from uh, the big restaurant group down there i wonder if there. it's one i saved i'll have to look on my phone after yeah. i just saved one that just opened I was like, this we... looks interesting it's in warwick uh-huh it's in warwick she said it's three miles from her house hmm. and maybe we can rendezvous there okay that and, sounds and, great and have a drink really bring the people together yeah yeah so I've, I've noticed that a lot of um i've noticed people i've met just being back almost a year now not doing too many networking events, 
the ones that feel like the right ones to go to and take it away from my family time because I have a 19-month-old now at home. And I've met a ton of people that live in Rhode Island and commute to Boston. I contemplated moving to Rhode Island actually for a little while. Now just where my office is located didn't make sense. But I love the Providence area. I mean, I love not just Providence, but that was to me where I was probably going to make a move. And I don't know. It's just a nice – it's a little – even I think Boston is like pretty relaxed and – quiet but yeah. there's just something a little different about providence it's nice prices are nice too much nicer than yeah here. Well, i can guarantee that yeah <laughs> um cool so so on the opposite end of the spectrum of of providence prices you live in the north end yeah How, i do that's a cool spot to live that's like the heart heart of the city right there it has i always in i had friends and who lived in the north end in college and i thought they were so cool and so i just that was like a goal of mine i want to get back downtown um so i've been there for a few years i do love it i think you know we'll see we'll see how long i'm mm-hmm. still there i can only eat so much mm-hmm. pasta before it all starts to blend together yeah, but yeah. i can't complain it is nice to be right in the yeah. center of the action and so you are currently commuting to Cambridge. Cambridge, yeah, all, is that where, Lower Alston. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so it's like our yeah. office is past the Harvard Stadium, That's so right. you're getting into Lower Alston territory. So, so, so let's talk about. I'm curious of this this transition you made, and and I definitely want to make sure we double click on some of the interesting one word answers you had to questions we went over. So, take me from Boston O reporter to Harvard Business School online sort of sort of marketing and communications. And I know you've spent time at Emerson and Northeastern. I think you mentioned before we even went on the air. You're on and off teaching digital publishing at Emerson. Mm-hmm. So education seems to be a, a theme Big throughout, throughout <laughs> yeah. your, your life. Uh, but what was sort of like how did that arc take shape for you? Yeah. So I spent about three and a half years, I guess, at Boston O. Um, Over that time, I mean, it was great. There was like, I don't know, seven of us when I started or so all sitting around one big long table. I'm like referencing it like people can see what I'm pointing at. Kind of like the one we're at. Yeah, like this one right here. Um, And, you know, over the years, it was so exciting to watch. They expanded to other cities and um, got to meet people from all over the country, which was great. And the company got acquired. And I don't know, three and a half years later, I was like, wow, we've done a lot here. Saw different shifts of editorial teams come in and got to go from writer to editor. And it was awesome. Um, I felt like working three and a half years in a startup. I was not, I knew nothing about startups, mind you, before I started there. It did not feel like three and a half years. It felt much longer (laughs) there. Um, But they were truly incredible years. Um, but I just at a point where I had been doing, you know, I had been doing it for so long. I, I could tell, too, uh, that the founders were about to start something else. They eventually told me, like, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. And I was like, I can tell by the meetings you're having in this office that you're yeah. doing something else. And so it was just I felt time for me to um, take on a different path. And I knew that they were, you know, going to go take on a different path as well. So it was at that point really just assessing what do I want to do. And I had been having a lot of different conversations with folks who I didn't fully know what it was that I wanted to do next. I knew that I wanted to eventually get into teaching and a master's degree was going to be a necessary for that. 
Um, so I happened to meet someone who actually was running at the time Northeastern's Media Innovation Program. It was a brand new journalism master's program. Um, at that point, it had only been, I think they had the first cohort going through it. And so we just chatted about the program and getting it off the ground. And I got so excited by it. And then the next thing I knew, I was sitting down with someone else mm -hmm. um, who was working at Northeastern and starting this new division within the school that was focused on launching new startups that would help provide revenue cool. for the university. And he was like, do you want a new job? Are you looking? And I was like, this is, yes, all of the, the stars are aligning here. Yeah. Like, yeah, I heard about this <laughs> master's degree and you're asking me if I need a job. And so, yeah, I made the shift pretty yeah. easily. Um, and I knew it was easy too. And I went to the founders who now know me, you know, for, <laughs> it's been so many hours together. And I was like, I'm getting into education. Like, I'm going to go work in Northeastern. And they're like, it makes sense. Yeah. Like, go have fun. Do what yeah. you got to do. Um, and so. What year was that? Uh, when did I start it? Northeastern. Wow. Time's really blending together. Uh, 2015? 2015. Um, yeah. Because cool. I graduated in 2017 with my master's. So, because I started my master's degree later that year. I started at Northeastern. Nice. Um, and so then you could take advantage of, so you had this cool new job and you were taking advantage of like, you were working at the school. So did that help you with that did, toward yeah. the master's program? Yeah. They have an amazing, nice. I mean, uh, the, I will say Northeastern treats their employees incredibly well. Their package is amazing. And yeah, I got my master's degree for free and I have no shame in saying that. And I often say that to people because I have a lot yeah. of people who ask me like, should I go get a master's degree? And I like to level set with them of why I also chose to pursue. That wasn't yeah. the only reason, um, but it obviously helped because sure. financial, you know, stipulation, they have to factor into your decision, of course. Yeah. So <laughs> I had this advice from uh, my first, one of my first managers out of school and she, she had me in her office and she knew I was mulling over a job move at the time and she was like Zach I can't really comment on what I'm pretty sure is going on in your life right now but I will say this money isn't everything but it's a lot mm -hmm. now get out of my office <laughs> and that was when I decided to go work for Fama PR and get into sort mm -hmm. of like the that sort of tech lane in Boston but it, I, I, I always take that with me because it's like you never want money to be your complete that's not your north star that you mm -hmm. should go by but it's important, you know, and, and as now um, yeah. like wife, kid, d dog, I'm like a lot of people responsible yeah. for a lot of people. So yeah, money, it, it matters. So that I imagine it's a very loaded question when someone says, oh, so you recommend a master's program? <laughs> well, let's talk. Where are you at your let's career? Talk about, all right, like all of a sudden you you're like yeah. putting your financial advisor <laughs> hat on and you're like, okay, like. Like what's your bank account look like? You know, what are your what are your job prospects? Like what are your goals, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's just it's it's we are all unique human beings and there is no one same decision that we exactly. should all make. Exactly. In a certain situation. And I've yeah. been in the market of selling master's degrees. So I can also <laughs> like very much tout the benefits, but even I've been on panels while I was working at Northeastern when that was primarily what we were focused on. I mean, I hate to say selling when you're talking about education, but it's true. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I told my boss, I was like, I'm always going to this panel about the future of education. I know they're going to ask. Sure. And I can say, yes, like there is a value in a master's degree. It just yeah. depends on who you are and yeah. where you're at in your career and what you want to do next. Because yeah. for one industry, it's going to help you get it's exactly where you are. Your career. In other industries, eh. it's, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it, might not, it might not help as much. So, yeah. 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 I've heard a lot of people. Like if you're going pursuing a career in education, it makes sense because it's a requirement yeah. to at 
accelerate and actually secure employment in Mm -hmm. that career. Whereas in some like marketing uh, types of jobs, like in more of the world I come from, the general consensus I've learned over the last six or seven years in my career is that the types of things that you've learned, like helping run and build Mm -hmm. businesses in this world, you're not going to find a program that's going to teach you exactly that right now. You might be best suited eventually if you miss academia to go and help (laughs) bring that knowledge back to a, to a, to a school, but Mm -hmm. things are also moving so rapidly. So it also depends on what you're learning. So this is one of the things that um, I talked to Marty Fuller about from Boston plan for excellence and what they're trying to do at Boston public schools. They're like train, they're like trying to help kids be ready for uh, science and tech and engineering and math jobs in Boston. But right now, if they're preparing a 15-year-old for a job, it may not exist in three years. Mm-hmm. And if it does, yeah. it's going to be a little different. And so it's just, it's, it is very difficult. So I'm curious, like, what are, what are your thoughts on those challenges? Like in the feedback loops you need to create with like yeah. the innovation economy to have knowledge transfer. Yeah, it was actually at Northeastern. This was a question that was coming up a lot because the department that I was working in, um, we were primarily uh, focused on creating and promoting professional graduate degrees and also an undergraduate education, but for not the traditional undergraduate student. So perhaps a military um, student who missed, you know, like after when he, they, he or she turned 18, went off um, and did amazing things for our country. And now we're coming back and trying to figure out how to reacclimate and needed an education, mm-hmm. maybe working moms. I wrote this amazing, I met this amazing mom who was talking about how she had tried to start her undergrad degree three times um, and just something kept happening. Life kept getting in the way and she finally got it when she was, I think like how many, eight months pregnant uh, wow. and like 39 years old. Anyway, so those were like the types of students that we were um, marketing to. But the president of Northeastern is very big. He has a book he came out with last year about robot proofing your life and your career. And so Mm -hmm. it's something that they were thinking a lot about and also talking to companies and asking companies, what is it that you need to teach or what what do you wish your employees, skills your employees had Mm -hmm. today? And that's kind of can be controversial because on one side, folks are saying, why are you only training people? for careers, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much more to education than that. And yeah. da, da, da. But to the conversation we were just having yeah. about money and mm-hmm. realities of life, yeah. it's true. Like you need to build programs that uh, you can easily adapt, that you can easily scale and that are built on actual skills that employers need today. Cause mm-hmm. at the end of the day, for the most part, people are caring about career growth, career transition, career advancement. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers your question. I think in terms of a feedback loop, there does need to be more of what skills are you missing? Also, are there skills that you can, you know, help create curriculum around yeah. to your point? Um, yeah. Well, no, I mean, you did a good job answering the question. It leads me to make a comment and ask another question. The comment is when you talk about people that you've told stories about in the past, mm-hmm. I immediately want to meet them. <laughs> I'm like, damn, you're such a good storyteller. Like, God, I'm should, doing my job. You should but... definitely, Dan Rowinski, who you probably know, yeah, yeah. he's the first person that I've had on. It's sort of like, this is me welcoming you. Like you're, I mean, you're like 
the queen storyteller of Boston in, in, in tech. Thank and you. if you have cool, interesting people that you want to come use this studio and talk to on Boston Speaks Up, <laughs> okay, you got the green light. Right. You named a, you've, you've alluded to a couple interesting people already that come throw them in the, the guest chair. You can take this chair. Kick me out of here. Um, with regards to the feedback loop, no, you did a good job, like, sort of talking about through some of the different, um, many of the different things you need to consider. I'm curious specifically your thoughts on just private sector and like the relationship between the private sector and education. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's a good relationship there. I think it's one that still has a lot of potential. And I think there's still a gray area of, and we've, uh, you know, I've run into this too in my current role of like, how do you describe a certificate or a credential or all of these things is in theory, when you're probably going through some of these programs, you're getting some form of stamp of approval that you've learned a skill, yeah. but there is no formalized way right now that everyone is universally discussing, like, how is it that you learn that skill? And there are so many companies yeah. that are have tried and are trying to yeah. create a standardized way to show that you've learned X, Y, and Z thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, I think that's still a big yeah. barrier. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's a really good point. So talk about your role right now. So you're you're at Harvard Business School online mm -hmm. and you are helping bring the Harvard Business School education to the masses globally. Yeah. Which is pretty Very exciting. Noble mission. How long has this um, endeavor been around and sort of what drew you to it and mm -hmm. and what interesting things do you want to sort of share with the Boston community about it? Yeah. So so it was actually up until January. It was actually called HBX. So when I, um, it started five years ago as HBX. And I think the initial goal, I, it was very much an experiment in seeing, is this even something that people want? So um, the faculty took courses that they were actually teaching on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and they created this, what we call credential readiness core. It's made up of three classes, uh, business analytics, financial accounting, and economics for managers. And they based the teaching all around the Harvard Business School like signature case learning method, which is essentially just putting folks in the shoes of decision makers and forcing them to think through like, here's a problem that someone faced out in the real world. How would you solve this if mm -hmm. you were them? Mm -hmm. um, so really just learning how to make decisions in the moment and be thoughtful and strategic. And yeah, they put the first pilot out there five years ago and they ended up getting this like massive response and since then the portfolio is just gone i'm like skate, skating over so much of the founding story mm -hmm. um but since then the portfolio has grown and so now there have been nearly forty thousand learners who've taken at least one course through harvard business school online um the portfolio now offers other classes like negotiation mastery leadership principles management essentials and so really the goal is to teach people vital business concepts but in a unique and engaging way mm -hmm. the platform is was all built in-house mm -hmm. which is a bit different than <clears throat> um, what a lot of other online providers are doing out there and the goal is really to make sure that the learners are active so they're every three to five minutes they're engaging in a new activity on the platform um, there's a social element. So we're making sure a lot of the times if there's questions about the material, a learner will pose it and another learner will come in and answer it for them, which is phenomenal. Mm. Uh, and the community has been like, it's been so fun to engage with. So my role at Harvard Business School Online, I'm involved with 
four kind of key pillars. So one is the content strategy of our site. So um, some of the website copy for me, primarily it's been blog and more of a content marketing strategy because that's the background that I come from. Mm -hmm. Um, Organic social media, the team, um, great colleagues who help me oversee both of these things. We have a community, call it. Um, So it is a way for us to provide our online learners with a chance to connect offline. So you can consider it like an alumni network of sorts. And then we also do events. So we have a big conference that's actually going to come up in April um, that lets all of our online learners come to the Harvard Business School campus for a day of networking. Uh, And yeah, it's really cool. So what's what what sort of costs are there to taking these classes online? They range in price depending on what you're doing and depending on what model you're doing it because we've got two. There's one where you can learn on our course platform, which is most of the courses. And then there's another where you can actually, we call it our live studio. It's the studio, it's it's based in WGBH and they Mm -hmm. built it out. So there's 60 screens that are on a wall and folks from anywhere in the world can log in. And there's a professor who is teaching in the middle like they would in a Harvard Business School classroom the they can raise their hand the teachers can write on the board you can see what they're writing you can interact with each other like you're in a live classroom it's i've sat in on a few of the classes um as an observer and i was i needed to go back and take more classes and that's and is that part of that proprietary sort of in-house tech Mm -hmm. at play yeah could you theoretically experience that in a vr headset if you wanted to. Yeah, I think they've tested. I mean, and we're too now looking at ways to yeah. make this more scalable. I don't know yeah. how much of this I'm actually allowed to talk about, yeah. but that's super interesting. Um, it is. I think the thing that we really just wanted to mimic is the Harvard Business School classroom experience is so un- unique. And how can you how can you bring that to life in a yeah. different in a digital way? setting? Yeah. So I imagine, and you alluded to it even a bit earlier on when you were given a really good overview. There are community members that will kind of in, like interject or respond to a certain community member's question. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that that is something that you're, that you're advocating to happen because is that what is, when you allude to sort of the uniqueness of Harvard business school, is it, I imagine that there's a lot of smart people in the room mm-hmm. beyond mm-hmm. just the professor and sort of the, the, you know, the, the conversation and the, and the cohort sort of, Peer feedback is 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 yeah. part of the uh, the experience. It really is. Yeah. yeah, I mean the yeah the interactions with your classmates. I a lot of um, my colleagues actually went to Harvard Business School, and so just hearing about their classroom experience, um, there was cool. a lot of yeah debate, friendly debate uh, yeah. in class. But you miss that sometimes when you're online. So we've really tried to do the best that we can to make sure you don't lose that yeah. when you're learning yeah. online. Um, That's really cool. It's been great. Yeah. That's really cool. So I have experimented with digital um, classes Mm -hmm. and through like iTunes U, I discovered one of my buddies out in LA, a kid I went to Boston University with and he's living out in Los Angeles. He's actually got like one of the coolest jobs now. He's head of content acquisition at Roku. Oh, cool. Uh, But he was doing a startup like three or four years ago and he's like, hey, do you want to take this Y Combinator class at Stanford with me? And I was like, dude, I, I'm not going to, like, I don't got the money. Sorry. Like, I'm trying to save right now. And he's like, oh, no, no, it's free. And I was like, oh. He's like, I mean, but it's it was like the complete opposite of the spectrum of what you're talking about right now. It was literally, I'm on iTunes U. 
I look and then every single lecture, like the Paul Graham lecture, like every individual sort of co you know, business man or woman who came in and did a lecture that semester comes in, you can listen to the podcast and there's some sort of like mm -hmm. worksheet that you can do to sort of like get a little bit from the class. I'm just curious, like, where are you guys oriented in the market? I'm curious, like, you don't have to speak to competitors. I'm just curious, like, where, where do you fit in the competitive landscape and, and who is it exactly that you're more brushing up against? I imagine, like, the iTunes U, like, Y Combinator Stanford example is clearly not something that's really competitive. It's just sort of like, it's like the free stuff available at Harvard or, or MIT to just access sort of uh, class curriculum. But how 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 innovative and novel is this particular sort of proprietary technology stack mm -hmm. and like true like digital learning that um, tries to recreate like the classroom setting? Yeah, I I think so. We, I mean, in terms of price, I mean, programs range from around a thousand. That's not the exact low, but there's a lot of things around that number um, to about. 5,000 at the max. So there is a price that comes with it. Um, we're hoping, you know, that the skills that you get out of that make the price and the certificate you get out of that, the community you get out of that, um, make that all worth it. So in terms of competitor, I mean, we do have a lot of people who just say, why don't you offer anything for free? Um, there's so many other programs that can, you know, that can yeah. do that and deliver that, but that's just, you know, I don't want to hypothesize, you know, why we're, yeah. why we're not playing in that space, but um, we've just really found our sweet spot in creating content. And if you are looking for, I mean, for us, it's, if you are working professional, cause that is primarily our, yeah. our biggest audience are working professionals. I think 75 to 80% of our audience is under the age of 40. Yeah. Um, I'm your target demo. And I'm thinking to myself, I kind of want to try this. Is yeah. there like, can I, try a class and then like I could do like the first three classes before it's like is it like a freemium model there is oh, not there that is no, not. it's like no. you're either you have to be all in you have to be all in and okay. what is <laughs> not, what is a little bit different too is you can do things at your own time but they're still weekly commitments because the thing that we wanted to be sure of okay is that you are going through something with a group of peers at the same time. Mm -hmm. So with a lot of online programs, particularly free, it's kind of open enrollment. You can go in whenever you can take the course on your own time. If you want to speed through it somehow in a week, you can. Mm -hmm. For us, it's, there is flexibility. So you don't need to log in at a certain time for at least our course platform, our live one, you have to, because everyone yeah. needs to be interacting with the professor at the same time. But for our course platform content, um, you can do whenever you need to, but there's still certain things that you need to do on a weekly basis. Um, so just so you can make sure that you're, you know, having folks that you're interacting cool. with. Really cool. Yeah. Um, what's your, so outside of, you're clearly very passionate about the mission, sort of the mission that Harvard Business School Online mm -hmm. is on. And, and I think that's, that's fantastic. But I want to kind of come back over to, to, to journalist Lauren Landry. Yeah. Would you consider that to be like, like, is that still like, you know, one B, like your big passion in life? Like what's your, and, and where does, where does journalism fit into like the next 10 years for, for your life? Yeah. I think for me, I had this question actually when I was deciding whether I wanted to take the role at Northeastern and I asked the then director of the media innovation program 
if I become a marketer, which at the time felt yeah. like, like the, yeah. <laughs> the dark side, yeah, yeah, if yeah. I become a marketer, yeah. can I ever be a journalist again? Yeah. And he was like, I think that they're becoming mm -hmm. much more interchangeable. And now I've seen that come to life so much more uh, over Look at the me. years. <laughs> yeah, it's like, there. I don't really know yeah. actually where it stops yeah. and starts. And for what's been a thread outside of just the theme of education in my career is just the storytelling component. So yeah. as a journalist, I didn't really it sounds horrible. I didn't really care about the things that like most people think of of journalists, like finding a scoop yeah. and it like, that was not the stuff that drove me yeah. to it. It was the meeting the people the yeah. asking the why, why did you do this? Why is this compelling? Why do people need this now? Why should we care? And that's sort of too, like now, I mean, I just keep trying even when we're talking to our students, you know, why is it that you decided to spend this money to yeah. take in an education from us? Um, why, where are we in the state of education? Like the why has been like a constant thread. And that was what made me decide that if I'm not going to be in journalism full time, yeah. I can still satiate like yeah. the part of my role that I love the most in other ways and other capacities. So content marketing has been a nice welcome relief for me. It's definitely different, you know, I'm definitely in a much different yeah. capacity. And even from a visibility perspective, it was nice to be out yeah. in the community and meeting with yeah. different people. Um, and I have had people reach out to me, you know, over the years since then and ask sort of similar questions that you have of like, where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> where have you been? Yeah. Um, so I don't know where that'll come into play. I did freelance for Boston Magazine for a little while after I left Boston O because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't losing the journalism. Yeah part of me um but trying to write about startups for a place that doesn't really cover startups all the time was also like sort of a hard there's an interesting hard uh problem yeah i'd call it potentially attention yeah yeah <laughs> when i think of digital publishing advisors that i would whose counsel I would seek in boston right now where do you see white space in boston from a media venture storytelling opportunity? Like, what do you see not being, what what opportunities do you see not being tackled? I'm gonna answer this, actually maybe answering a question you asked earlier that I realized I sort of skirted by of the like, what is missing and what's different? I feel like when I was working, and this is not just me saying this, cause I've heard this from a lot of people who are also either writing or just in the startup community at that time. Mm -hmm. Boston was really, for a while, had to prove itself. I think it was like, mm -hmm. why are we better than Silicon Valley? And why are we better than New York? And there was just like a rallying cry and this like, we are Boston, hear us roar. And mm -hmm. I just don't feel that. And I've mm -hmm. asked a lot of people, is it because I'm so far removed? Am I missing something? Or are we just like done? Like mm -hmm. we proved it. We've shown that we've got these big pillar brands here. I don't know, but that to me is what I feel like is missing. Like yeah. that, and I feel like there just was like a much different energy. And I, I blame the Patriots. We've won too many Super Bowls. <laughs> we have nothing left. We have been too we successful. Know. It's true, you know. I yeah, I think I blame it on Tom a lot too. That's interesting. So sort of like the um, like the the community really rallied hard to to uh, le like properly le like and well deservingly well-deservedly level up to San Francisco. Yeah, I feel, I mean, the reason even to Boston, I mean, one of the big reasons Boston was started is because the founders were starting a different company that was not, that was not Boston and they were trying to get press. And at the time, no one wanted to write about them. Mm -hmm. And even now, st like 
Yes. Anyway, I'll I'll go back into yeah. what I was about to say. Yeah. But they, yeah, they were like, no one's writing about us, so we are going to start a startup company writing about startups. None of those guys had journalism degrees. You know, it wasn't. But they want. They knew that there were a lot of stories that were going untold, and they cared about storytelling. Yeah. Um. And so that there was something too that was really nice and beautiful yeah. about we that. Cared about storytelling. There were stories to be told. And it's the same case now. Mm-hmm. Boston has a couple tech reporters that do a fantastic job. They I do. Dro- they dro- do. The reporting I, is like still great. Yeah, I read it. Yeah. I get all the newsletters still. Um, but yeah, the team too is. It's sh- just. Sh- it, cool. It's just. There's not like I, I joked with Lucy Maffei, who I spoke with on the second um, Boston Speaks Up podcast, that there could be they could quadruple their staff. I mean, there could be eight of them, and they would still constantly have stories to write about mm-hmm. and still constantly not be writing all the stories oh, right yeah. and so that's just so that seems to me like some white space is just the um, the the there's an inability of uh, authenticity in 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 the in an outsiders uh, an outsider being able to look in at Boston and really internalize like who the different individual entrepreneurs are in the, in the space. And like specifically what I mean is when I moved back, like I went through it myself and I've talked to a ton of people about this too. And I was like, Oh, like I want to get to know, I want to get to know Lauren Landry. Like I want like, what's Lauren up to? And you weren't writing. And like, how can I get to know what you're up to by looking at like a static LinkedIn page of like, here's what she's done since she wrote at Boston. Mm-hmm. and then, de- and then based on that, make deduce who you are as a person now. Yeah. It's so weird to me. Like the, like obviously the ultimate way that, that storytelling introduces people to uh community is, is there is like richly done through, through video. But I, I happen to think that it can really richly be done through audio, but that's where I see interesting white space. I look at all the media in Boston and it's just very like, there's a lot of words on paper digitally about companies. Sometimes there's decent profiles on individuals, but what, like, like what about just actual access to like conversations between the different individual inspiring people that exist. Like that's, that's how I would appreciate being able to get to know the different pockets of, of, players in in, in a scene. I also think up and coming because what I have seen too, and I experience this being a freelancer and I have experiences still even helping, trying to help people pitch is the media is really like nervous. Like, Oh, if you write about this company, what if they're not going to be around in like, three, three months or, uh, you know, I mean, that's a drastic, that's a drastic end, but even still, it's like, well, how do I know that they're going to be successful for a year? And it's like, well, is it that part matter? I don't know. But it's like, are you writing for like Boston's version of investors business daily? Yeah. Like, are your readers like going to make an invest? Like, no, they're, these are early stage companies that yeah. you can't even invest in. So like, there's no negligence in your reporting to tell like the story of a promising startup yeah, or, or, just, or a promising entrepreneur mm-hmm. who's saying, you know what, like the, the types of people I'm drawn to are the types of people you're drawn to. Like people don't address under 18 year olds. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of liability mm-hmm. to try to help fill in all the gaps that the education system misses in trying to help at risk youth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes down to liability. I know like several people and I've had some on the podcast and I will have more that are addressing that issue. And that's really interesting. And it's very difficult for them to create businesses out of what they're doing. But at a, 
at a minimum, just talking about what they're doing, it talks about a problem that otherwise is just like accepted. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're doing? We're accepting it? Like that seems like bullshit. Yeah. I mean, even when you look at lists of like the top 50 innovators in the city, I love usually yeah. so many people yeah. on that list. And I, yeah. you can usually like pick out like, oh, but I can also probably guess who's going to be on that list yeah. before that list comes out. And and there's constantly new crop. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but that's, and yeah. that's the part. I mean, I guess really some of it, what I miss is just being able to shed a light on some of that crop. New discovery. Yeah. New discovery. Yeah. And I mean, being, cause I was on the education beat, so much of it wasn't actually about education. It was just go to the MIT hundred K competition, go to sure. the iLab when it's opening yeah. and just meet being in academia yeah, in the people. academic setting and meet the, the next crop of entrepreneurs from MIT or from yeah. Harvard. Yeah. I mean, that's how I met. So we're here when you felt like that's yeah. how I met trip. Yeah. Um, cause he was a entrepreneur who came out of Emerson that yeah. was at the time like a very unknown and he brought helped bring yeah. make entrepreneurship more visible at Emerson but those are two of the stories that I was yeah. telling um yeah. and what's hard also is if you even too I was a dedicated education campus and you know I wrote a lot about campus innovation reporter but there's so many schools in the city that there's also no way you can cover I could have done that full-time yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. had multiple people helping me do that full-time yeah yeah. So just kind of still, I'm still on this yeah. tangent with white, the white space, but kind of in that, in that, when I look at how media businesses have grown, they've decided like a Boston O to go from Boston and then add DC and New York. And most recently they added their 12th city, Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. And I get it. But what I actually believe in my heart is the expansion needs to happen at a more micro level and the reporting needs to permeate through the different boroughs we'll call them mm -hmm. or neighborhoods of Boston and then go out to Salem and Beverly and the North Shore and go out to the Merrimack Valley and it was, what's cool and interesting and super promising is having the, the, the team at Boston Business Journal and Boston, oh, I've been talking to them quite a bit about a lot of the interesting initiatives they're on. And they're talking to the groups of people that are leading the innovation initiative in Merrimack Valley and talking to the group of people mm -hmm. doing it. And on the North Shore, it's called Inno North that the Mail of Salem started. And so it seems to me like that they're kind of also angling a bit in this direction. But that's Local news has been gutted, yeah, right? Yeah, Which is this whole yeah. other like, whoa, just throw that out. Like, like that's not a throwaway statement. <laughs> but local news has been gutted. And you have all these communities outside, like just outside Boston and then extended. I had a Uber, you know, you, when we just ran into each other, you had a hilarious um, Uber ride here where your your Uber driver took you around the airport a few times before listening. you made it over. I loved yeah. you. We're yeah. still great. We're yeah. still great. <laughs> yeah. And um, she, she, yes, Lauren came in beaming with joy and, and, and also saying that you're going to be a new podcast listener. So yeah. thank you um, for joining the Boston Speaks Up community. We, we really, really appreciate it. Um, so in, and in speaking to you so directly, I've completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> Which is fine because it happens. Gutted media, yeah. and it will, in yeah. and it will come. It will come right back, and, and it's because you're an Uber driver, and I was recently in a Lyft. Um, I'm, I was I'm actually it was a yeah. Lyft. Driver. Okay, cool. I'm it more was of a Lyft. Lyft. Guy. Okay, high five. See, we're there. Lyft. So I was in a Lyft the other day, and I grew up in the Merrimack Valley. I grew up in Methuen. My wife grew up in Lawrence, and my Lyft driver was from Lowell, and he was one of nine children, and he's been working since he was twelve. 
uh, and he helps support his family. And he asked me what I did, and I was telling him what you know, I was ta- talking about tech, and he was like, "I'm so." He's like, "I've always just been fascinated by the technology and innovation." He's super bright, young, young, young guy. He's probably 23 years old, and he's like, "Yeah, but I, he's like, I, I, I'd never had a shot to go to college," and he's just like, "So I'm just, you know, I'm just doing my thing." And he's like, "He's like, Boston may as well be on the other side of the country." He's like, I, he's like, now I got no, sh- no shot of working in the innovation tech community there. And so my, heart. The, my first reaction was like, no way, dude, Yeah, you totally have a shot. Like, here's my number. Like I got this thing going, Boston speaks up. Like we're going to like, just trying to rally together different yeah. communities. Like there's other ways to there, like, there, like, and there are, there's, there's job, there's opportunities to gain jobs in the tech community in the tech community that don't require an undergrad education you can go and learn like a coding skill like etc 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 coders can i just give a yeah i love resilient coders and like that like those are the programs like we need more way more of that and and so what it what dawned on me though in that conversation and i've since texted with with this guy um my, I, I told my wife, I was like, I made a new friend. She's like, your Lyft driver? I was like, actually, two. Because I, <laughs> my Lyft driver from New York, I was flying back from New York that night, and my Lyft driver from New York, uh, who's from Cameroon, he um, he and I were texting after as well. So um, a lot of and, – and maybe this gentleman that, that you hung out with today will send Boston Speaks Up at gmail.com an email, and we can I communicate. Oh, so. I hope yeah. – I, I don't know. I should yeah. I felt like I, there was a missed opportunity there because we could have been – He can reach out. He can reach out. Please do. Boston, just reach out to Boston Speak <laughs> Up. We'll get, we'll get you in touch with – you can get in touch with Zach and Lauren. He's so nice. Yeah, that, that's the sort of stuff that I'm interested in, and, and one of the yeah. reasons that I was excited to kind of talk to you about just education more broadly, even just without the con- – uh, outside the context of what you're doing now yeah. is because yeah. just this is uh, – like to your point about the community of Boston years ago when Bostono started and just rallying together and whatnot, like that in that similar sort of spirited way, just be really cool to help collect the, you know, people from sort of seem like seemingly disparate communities, mm-hmm. but like minds, create some connective tissue digitally and help communicate to the kids in Lowell who have been working their butts off because they're helping support their families and, and just to expose them to, Hey, here's some other opportunities that exist. Like Uber and Lyft do a great job of, you know, and the gig economy does a great job of creating opportunity. My brother drives for Uber and Lyft in LA and like there, but there are so many more opportunities that exist in an innovation economy like Boston that just aren't getting marketed Mm-hmm. to people outside the city. So this is like a whole new tangent that I'm on just from like, one, you know, from this one <laughs> lift conversation. And I've kind of been like unpacking a little bit. I'm like, damn, someone could focus on this white space too. Yeah. I mean, what is exciting about education? Oh yeah. Far outside of what I've been doing. And I've, I've recently and why I took the job at Harvard business school online, but why I like the spaces is just like the alternate alternatives to a traditional, Degree, I mean, obviously I'm still working in a pretty (laughs) traditional place, but there's also just so many ways now that you can learn a new skill. And I I mean, sometimes it's actually maybe too many ways um, because it's hard to figure out what's the right fit. Should I learn how to code from Treehouse or Coursera? You know, like there's now maybe a few too many things, but I, yeah, I don't know. It's very promise. There's a lot of promise. Yeah. Over on the one word uh, answers that that you provided and we've kind of, touched on a bunch of these over the course of the the conversation. You mentioned that your favorite thing to do 
outside of work is read. I was curious what you're reading right now. Oh, what am I reading right now? I'm reading this book um, by Abby Waxman. And of course, I'm going to forget the title right now. Um, But here's an exciting thing to cover over that I just read the title of what I'm reading is that I just re-got, I had a Boston Public Library card um, in college and then I let it expire and I just got a new one. What an exciting time to be alive. (laughs) Like forgot about the library and it has changed. I've already like just doubled what I'm reading for a few reasons. A, because now I have access to so many things for Mm -hmm. free. But also because it gives you like a deadline, you know, yeah. here's the day you got to bring it back. And you're like, all yeah. right, I can't watch another episode of Real Housewives today. That's I need to true. read. And it's really helped my just mental. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So one of the um, one of the fill in the blanks was Bo- the future of Boston will be. And you wrote inclusive. It was a high thought. That one took me a long time to put a word there. I say inclusive for a few reasons, I guess. Um, aspirationally inclusive. Aspirationally, for sure, <laughs> inclusive. And it's hard because you see yeah. all these. I mean, we were, I was yeah. actually talking to my Lyft driver about all of the buildings that we've mm-hmm. seen pop up all over the place and how, like, the seaport freaks me out. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. But there's hope in that they're still providing housing opportunities in some of those new spots and making sure that some of it is – I use air quotes around affordable Mm -hmm. um, for folks. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just, I get some point this is like, isn't just like how we are now, just like not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so I, maybe it is like, I've been always told that if you want something, put it out into the universe. Cause even as I'm trying to like explain why I said inclusive, I'm like, Hey, I'm still nervous about it. But maybe if I put it out into the universe, um, it'll happen. <laughs> I think it, it was. A, I, I loved it. I thought it was a beautiful answer, and I I had the sense, knowing how mindful you are, I I imagined you putting real thought into that one, and like it is an aspirational answer yeah, yeah. because, unfortunately, it's really difficult. Boston's had a long history of not being the most inclusive city, mm-hmm. yeah. and those problems have been exacerbated based on the great economic success of the city in the last decade. So. I too hope that inclusive can be more, even better achieved yeah. in Boston's future. Fingers so I, I am, I am with you on that. <laughs> now another, so sort of a, a, a more fun topic as it relates to Boston. Uh, you, you mentioned grit yeah. when asked about your favorite thing in Boston, which I agree and I love. I, I love that it. answer. Yeah, I just the people are so straightforward. I love. People are so straightforward here. What's funny is I used to work in retail. Uh, I worked at American Eagle and Faneuil Hall throughout mm-hmm. college. And I got asked on numerous occasions, like, why I was so nice. And I would usually just say, I'm from Maine. Quite, like, yeah. shoulder shrug. Like, I don't, I don't know. But people. Which you've probably been told this, but everyone from Maine is nice. I, I, yeah, know, I'm not going to yeah. say that that's not true. Yeah. But it's just so funny. But I, like, now love – like, I just kind of like it. I don't agree that everyone is a asshole. Like, I just – I don't agree with that. But there is a little salt of the earth. You know, we have to deal with these, like, frigid climates. I don't know. And the shitty traffic. And I just like – I like the straightforward nature of the people. And, like, perseverance and pride. Like, I don't know. You see things, you know, after the Boston Marathon. Like, the city really – rallied around each other like it made me proud to be here yeah. obviously that was so tragic and um but yeah it, i was just like wow i feel so grateful for this community 
And you see that, I mean, the same, like, I mean, yeah, we just won another Super Bowl again. It's like on a lighter note. And then just to see how people get so excited. Those people, I was getting to work. I don't know. I got on the tee like 730. They were like four rows deep already outside the top. I was like, they're not even going to come to you near Park Street for like another five hours. But good for you. I mean, I felt like a bum. I had an excuse (laughs) because I have a a 19-month-old. But like bunch of friends from Boston and or, or you know friends from Boston and friends from from Boston University but a bunch of Bostonians that all live in New York now a few of them hit me up and they were like yo Z you want to go to the parade we're all coming in on the train tomorrow and I was like I'm like taking my kid to daycare yeah. and then <laughs> I'm gonna work not there, not and um, <laughs> I'll probably catch the recap at night and see what you know to see how wasted Gronk got yeah yeah uh. Last big question I asked you and one word answers was what would you change about the world? Like the big, a big problem facing the world that you would change. And this is actually an answer that I've gotten before. And you said access. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. I mean, I, I think we addressed it a little bit yeah. even too. And in the inclusive yeah. part is there is, you know, obviously a subset of people that just don't have access to the things that, everyone should have access to. So whether it is a high quality education, whether it is affordable housing, whether it is even being able to find a a minimum wage paying job with a minimum wage is actually one that you can live off of and feed a family. Like it it bums me out (laughs) to see that not everyone has access to the same opportunities or even to the same support services. Um, I volunteer for a bereavement camp called Camp Aaron. And even too, just like hearing stories of like, I don't know, it's what's awesome about it, it's free. And mm-hmm. so that is like one way to provide great access to people who might not otherwise have access to be able to say, go see a therapist. Like that stuff, that's even so expensive. Like yeah. now I'm kind of getting on a tangent, but yeah. it's just there's no, so that's many amazing. things. So that- so if you're if you're going through if you're on if you're going through bereavement, you can go to bereavement camp no cost and have support. Yeah, you can go once. So I can give a better, I guess, overview of Camp Aaron. Um, But it's for children and teens who've experienced the loss of someone close to them. Um, Whether, you know, there's no kind of parameters, whether parent, friend, um, and it could have been for two, a variety of reasons. And we've kind of heard them all run the gamut, but yeah, you get to go to this um, camp and they actually have one. What's the name of the camp again? Uh, camp Aaron. Camp Aaron. And where, where is it? Um, so that, well, so there is actually one in every major city, okay. which is awesome. Um, so the one, the Boston one, um, is a little bit further outside of Boston, but not far mm-hmm. away at all. And it's at a camp called Camp Avoda. And it's just so great. Cause what happens is you go for three days and every camper, they have a buddy. So it's usually my role. I get to hang out with a camper all week. And they just do a bunch of fun things. You know, like they'll go canoeing and they'll play soccer and they'll go to That's a dance. Cool. But then they'll also talk about their grief and go through these exercises yeah. where they need to talk about it. But what the thing that's the best about it that we often hear is at the end, everyone gets asked, you know, what is it that you learned Mm -hmm. while you were here at camp and so many of the responses are just i now know i'm not alone Mm -hmm. because if you've lost someone it's very likely that maybe you were the only one say in your fourth grade class who lost someone but that's not true there was some other fourth grader who was somewhere out there who also experienced that same thing and like how do you get to connect with those people so 
I, yeah, that's, that's like one really of the cool. favorite things I Camp do Aaron. in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I actually forgot. A lot of times I'll ask a question like what's a cool initiative that you'd like to share with people or whatnot and that i would say that that's it that is that is clearly it is there anything else that we haven't covered that you've had uh, burning desires to share with the boston community Hmm, that's a great question i don't know i mean i think I'm, I'm, I I am curious now that you've, we've been talking about so much, like, where do we see white space Mm -hmm. coming? It's like kind of re-fired me up, which is nice. I mean, I, yeah. I'm stoking your fire. Like, where do, where do I write? Where do I go? Um, I hope some of that gets filled. I also. Let's do a meaningful media endeavor together. Okay. The years ahead, they are abound with opportunities for us, Lauren. Okay. I got to put my media innovation degree to use somehow. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe not. I, my mind, like, often goes in tangents. Some of it, too, is, like, it's, you know, the start now of, like, International Women's Month. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, so some of those, you know, but I don't know. Nothing yeah. in particular yeah. <laughs> that's cool. coming to mind. One cool. thing I will yeah. put on the record, yeah. mostly because the edu- education and people working in education tend to get a bad mm-hmm. rep. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly saying this because I have talked to so many people in the Boston Tech community who have been like, you must be living such a cushy life, nine to five now and let me tell you oh, some of that is your butt off I know. <laughs> and in academia yeah. like that's that can be true but man oh man i feel like i've been working just as hard mm-hmm. um in academia as i ever worked in my startup yeah. life and so maybe that's just like on the record i want to like dispel the myth that right people in higher ed yeah. aren't like working hard yeah lauren this has been awesome thanks so much for having me yeah thanks for being here